Welcome back to the analysis.news. Uh, we'll be back in just a few seconds with Alexander uh, Buzgalin. And we're going to continue our discussion about Russia, Ukraine, and uh, make Russia great again, and, and even more dangerous, make the United States great again. Uh, and we'll be back in just a few seconds. Now joining us again is Alexander Buzgalin. He's a professor and director of the Center of Modern Marxist Studies at Moscow State University. He's chief editor of the journal Alternatives, an academic journal dealing with problems in political economy. And he's the vice president of the World Political Economy Association. Thanks for joining us, Alexander. Thank you. All these weapons that are being produced, either whether they're in Russia or the United States or elsewhere, but particularly between the U.S. and Russia, if I understand it correctly, and you know, I've been working with Daniel Ellsberg on this documentary film, it's all irrelevant because the real power is in the submarines. So it doesn't matter how many missiles get fired at Russia or how many missiles Russia fires back from the ground. It, does, it doesn't matter in the sense they both have submarine capability of wiping out the other country. So the, the deterrence is already there. So the justification to spend so much more money on ICBMs and all these fancy new uh, hypersonic missiles and all the rest, if I understand it correctly, is mostly all bullshit. Because whatever fires one way or the other, it's the subs that are going to finish it off. And they'll finish it off in a way that there won't be any Russia, there won't be any United States, and there won't be any humans because there'll be nuclear winter and it will all be over. So it seems like a great big piece of theater to spend and make incredible amounts of money. Uh, yes, I am not a specialist in the military questions. Uh, I'm sorry, but uh, it was Khrushchev in the 1960s, early 1960s, who said, we have uh, opportunity to destroy completely all United States. You know how? We will make explosive of all, all our nuclear weapons in Russia. <laughs> and will, will disappear. The <laughs> earth will disappear. It's true. Yeah, sorry. It's, you know, it doesn't matter where all these nuclear weapons will be, where will be explosive. <laughs> the result will be the same. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a scene in a movie called Blazing Saddles. Uh, where the sheriff, the black sheriff, has a white prisoner and the townspeople are coming to get the white prisoner uh, away because it's a black sheriff. And the sheriff puts a gun up to his own head and he says, if you take this guy away from me, I'm going to shoot myself. And they don't know what to do with it. That's kind of what the reality is. Either country blows up, we're all gone. Yes. By the way, I think it's true now for China and maybe not only. So uh, uh, that's why I think uh, we must distinguish. It's very important. Uh, and I want to stress this, I don't know, many times. Uh, first, uh, there are peoples of uh, United States and there are peoples of Russia. Uh, and there are government of United States uh, and government of Russia. Uh, and the big business of United States and big business of Russia. In the interests of big business, uh, top bureaucracy, and peoples inside Russia are much more strong than between countries. 
it's old, very old uh, slogan of internationalism of working people, but it's true. And um, it's important for us, even for left, uh, left journalists, left professors, left militants, uh, ordinary people, not to follow to propaganda stamp, uh, no, no, standards. When everybody says Russia is against United States, United States is against Russia. In our country, it's unfortunately the rule. U.S. is aggressive country. I'm not sure that U.S. citizens wants to go to Russia with guns to kill Russians. I'm not sure, honestly. I don't think so. Oh, I and think the, the answer is no. The answer is no. In fact, the Americans made it very clear they don't want to send a single uh, soldier to actually fight in the Ukraine. Uh, they had they would not. This, Americans would not support that. Yeah, and uh, and the same in Russia. It was the song But but I have to say, there's a lot of American politics. No, after uh, all our wars to to have uh, wish to start war, we are not so crazy. Please believe it. Well, there's American politicians that are urging the Ukrainians to fight the Russians. They want to send small arms, both in the Democratic Party and Republican parties, going on television, demanding Biden send more small arms to Ukrainians so Ukrainians can wage guerrilla war against these invading Russians. Uh, I, I don't know if I've seen anything more disgusting than they want to turn Ukraine into like a civil war like in Syria. Yeah, it's okay. It's another story. But uh, uh, so let's talk about government of United States wants to do this and that. Uh, Russian government uh, wants to do this. And that. Well, let me let me ask you the other part of the question I had earlier. Yes. Uh, I won't say Putin because you're you're right. We need to say the the Russian state, the oligarchy, and the Russian bureaucrats. Do they want a greater Russia? Is that part of what's motivating this, the historic Russian empire. And let, let me just add, well, so what if they do? It's not like the Americans don't want the American empire. But at any rate, is that what is that part of what's motivating here, this, uh, this sort of uh, nationalistic, historic feeling that Russia deserves to be a, a greater power with a larger sphere of influence? It's a very uh, difficult question and very important question. I will say that, uh, mm, first of all, here we have even an, among Russian people, uh, not big but uh, influential part, who wants to rebuild Russian empire. It's true. We have this pro, uh, let's say, supporters, of big Russia, the same big as Soviet Union or something like that. We have this trend. We have this trend among uh, official, in, in official propaganda, we have this trend in uh, bureaucratic circles and even inside uh, business circles. And this is big problem for us. This great power chauvinism exists. Uh, but there is difference, you know, there is difference between men who wants to have beautiful girls and maybe not only one, but three or four, and the men who makes violence in the street against women. 
it's different yeah you know intention is one real action is something absolutely not uh, so uh, and uh, i think that now in real politics in real political uh, uh, how so intentions uh, russian officials except maybe a few crazy persons which are in every government uh, doesn't want to start any aggressive actions against uh, other countries around Russia. I know that um, there are two uh, very important uh, aspects of this problem, uh, maybe counter arguments. People can argue, look, and what about Crimea? Look, and what about Donbass, Donetsk and Lugansk? So again, prehistory. Uh, even not prehistory that it was part of Russia. Okay, let's forget. Yes, it's true. And I want to stress again, uh, really in practice, uh, Russian officials are, how say, adequate enough not to have such intentions. And uh, I don't think that uh, really, they really plan to start war. Uh, I stressed uh, in, during our previous dialogue that uh, in Russia, people definitely don't, doesn't want war. And this is very important internal intentions, intention, uh, feeling, uh, I don't know, even something in the soul. We had so terrible, so bloody wars in past that uh, for our people is... Uh, uh, something enormous to start again uh, any war. Uh, of course, government is not people, but it's necessary to understand that if government wants uh, will start any war, uh, government will not have support from inside or they will make suicide, as I said before. Uh, about great power chauvinism and intentions. Unfortunately, these nationalist uh, expansionist uh, trends are typical for uh, nearly all uh, national capitalist states, which has uh, relatively strong uh, army uh, and which has uh, not very good economic and social situation. Because uh, nationalism is typical mean to undermine any social protest any struggle for equality, any struggle for real democracy, and so on. I mentioned this is very old slogan. We must be together because we have terrible enemy. And if we fight against enemy and if we will go forward, we will be tomorrow huge country. We will have a lot of resources. Everybody will be rich and we solve all problems through expansion. There are a lot of such expansionist, uh, expansionist ideas, even in Poland. I'm not speaking about big countries. And this military aggressive model of behavior, slogans, ideology, propaganda, unfortunately is typical for uh, capitalist countries with strong state, strong bureaucracy and big internal contradictions. But again, propaganda, it's one thing, uh, real political actions, another. And as I said, from pragmatic point of view, both tactic and strategic, for Russia, war is not 
good idea. There are some uh, important uh, aspects, very important aspects, why there are uh, not only artificial nationalistic, but real foundations for idea of uh, big Russia, so-called big Russia. Uh, this is prehistory. You know, it's strange, but when I was in Austria, small, very democratic country in the center of Europe, they have uh, a lot of museums and so on about their uh, Tsar, Chancellor of Austria, when it was Austrian-Hungarian Empire, huge empire in the center of Europe. They have enormous nostalgia about this guy. Like in Russia about Stalin, by the way. It's very strange, but it's true. I was shocked when I saw all these things in Austria. And this is Austria, small, very beautiful, democratic, social, more or less uh, capitalist country. What about other countries? So, but here we have, why I mentioned about this? Because it was prehistory. Uh, in Russia, prehistory is even stronger. Uh, we were together with many now independent countries for uh, ages and ages, uh, with Ukraine from uh, nine, uh, 16, uh, 1641st, uh, with Belarus, I think it was different uh, changes, but uh, from 16th, 17th century, uh, from Caucasus from 19th century, uh, from Central Asia the same. Uh, and. Uh, especially important that in Soviet Union we had the uh, situation very different from uh, situation with uh, empire uh, which has colonies where people are oppressed, poor and so on. Uh, it was more or less equal development. Baltic republics were richer than Central Russia. Ukraine was richer than Central Russia. Georgia was richer than Central Russia. Now, Baltic republics are richer than Russia. Georgia is the, has less income and uh, big economic problems. Ukraine the same. Belarus more or less like Russia. And other countries except Kazakhstan, which is very friendly, by the way, to Russia, more or less friendly to Russia. Other countries are in terrible situation after collapse of the Soviet Union. And there are a lot of people from these countries who are coming to Russia and we are coming to these countries and they dream about reunification, not about big Russia, but reunification of the Soviet Union. There is real basis for growth of uh, Soviet Union, not because it was Russian uh, state, not because even of Russian language, it was international language, but it is not the main, not because of our common culture, because uh, I don't know, wonderful singers, filmmakers, and uh, scholars from very small Estonia. It's one million people. It was very small part, less than 1% of Soviet Union. We had fantastic artists who were uh, extremely famous in all country and every in all Soviet Union. And people were thinking that they are our singers, not Estonian, not Russian, not Belarus, not Ukrainian. The same with Ukrainians, the same with uh, I don't know, Chinggis Aitbatov, who writer from Kyrgyzia, I don't know, one of the best or maybe the best writer of the 20th century. He was Russian, no. He was Kyrgyz, no. He was Uzbekistan, no. He was Soviet. It was a real unity of economy, technologies, 
uh, education. It was the same wage everywhere. Absolutely the same wage of doctor, teacher, worker, engineer, student scholarship, everywhere absolutely equal. In every town, every village, every city of the country. Can you imagine? And it was for 70 years. So people remember this. And they don't want to have Russia. They want to have Soviet Union. Of course, Soviet Union had a lot of negative features. It's uh, very important to remember about this. This is not nostalgia. Uh, when in Italy in the 15th, 16th century was Renaissance, it was not nostalgia about Greek uh, past or Rome past, antique past. It was Renaissance. So now there is very big intention in Ukraine, in Russia, in Georgia, in Central Asia uh, for renaissance of, uh, I can say, socialist country. We must withdraw lessons from collapse of the Soviet Union and uh, intention to create a new, better, without these terrible mistakes and even crimes. Common space is very strong. And this is not only for Soviet Union, this is also for friendship with China, with Vietnam, with Cuba, which is far away, and which was very our own country. The love to Cuba, Cuba was part of the life of my generation when we were teenagers. The catastrophe with Salvador Allende in Chile in the 1970s, when the fascist coup took place in this country, for all Soviet Union, it was tragedy. But but what you're talking about it's, is an yeah, aspiration. But what, you're talking about an aspiration of the people. This is not this kind of new rebirth. Is not the aspiration of the Russian oligarchy or bureaucrats. So it's true. Who are they? Yes. Talk about who are these Russian oligarchs? Who I would guess, like the Americans, as powerful as the American state is, uh, the American billionaires are the ones that really have the levers of power. Uh, is, in the, is it not the same in Russia that as powerful as the bureaucrats are, the oligarchs are at least as powerful? Uh, and what do they want out of this situation? Uh, first of all, uh, they are divided. So different trends inside bureaucrats, top bureaucrats. I'm not talking about, I don't know, ordinary people working in small towns. So uh, top bureaucrats and the big business bosses, uh, they are very integrated, as I said. Uh, we had uh, state corporations uh, which are working for top managers of these corporations. So in reality, they are private, but form of property state. We have vice versa, some private corporations, but real control of the bureaucrats is very strong. And they are working for top bureaucrats more than for their own interests. So in Russia, it's very integrated, mixed. And formal statistic about state and private property says nothing or nearly nothing. So uh, they are divided, these uh, people, this nomenclature, new nomenclature, new elite. I don't want to delete, uh, but okay. Um, uh, we have uh, pro-Western, even bureaucrats, or for example, typically finance, economic ministers, central bank leaders, they are looking uh, forward uh, in the direction of uh, neoliberal standards, 
monetarist model of economic theory, uh, monetarist model of economic policy, and so on. So we there much more neoliberals than the US, uh, I don't know, finance minister, I think so. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong, I don't know uh, about US. So uh, we have uh, so-called siloviki, uh, bureaucrats who deal with uh, um, uh, military industrial complex, uh, defense ministry, internal affairs, uh, PSB, former KGB, and so on. Uh, they are more oriented on the strong state, stability, and partly these bureaucrats are real patriots. And part of them are socially oriented. It's one of the paradoxes. We have uh, these strong uh, military persons, uh, generals in uh, different uh, I don't know, parts of uh, these structures uh, who are thinking about necessity to have more social justice, uh, free of church education, and so on. Uh, they like Communist Party of Russian Federation and the leaders of this party like them. So it's uh, not simple. Yeah, They are paternalistic uh, bureaucrats. This is another part. Third part, um, semi-criminals who wants to take as much money as possible and uh, went to Bagama Islands or anywhere, I don't know. Yeah absolutely cynical without any particular interest except money and that's it. And we have uh, something like a result of this struggle. And result is development of uh, Russia as a system where we have, um, uh, how to say, um, shadow state regulation. Real uh, formal state regulation is nearly uh, absent. We don't have plan, even such plan as it was in France, for example, when it was rebirth of France in 50s and 60s, or in, like in South Korea. Of course, we don't have plan like in China. Uh, we have um, shadow state regulation, which is oriented on the growth of power of bureaucrats, growth of power of uh, oligarchs and money of oligarchs and property of both. And uh, also they want to have stability in the country in order to save their power and their money and their property. If they want to have expansion outside, okay, if they can receive this without uh, victims, without risk as present, I think they say yes. But to start any real uh, active actions, it was only one time uh, with Crimea, I said, uh, and it was not uh, artificial basis for this. Uh, now there is another problem. I go to concrete example, it's important. It's Donbass. This is the so eastern about, section of Ukraine that's mostly Russian speaking. Yes, I will explain now. Yes, uh, I will not talk more about Crimea because we had long talk about this. Uh, I don't want to repeat. About Donbass, it's a little bit another story. So Donbass became part of Ukraine uh, after 300 years uh, life inside Russia. Uh, in uh, late 20s, 1920s. So it's uh, became again formal part of Ukraine inside Soviet Union 
and it was no changes. It was some formal announcements in the top buildings of uh, top officials and nothing else. It was Russian language, uh, Russian education, and 90% uh, of population were either Russians or Russian-speaking people from other uh, republics and uh, other nations. Uh, Donbass is a region where coal industry, uh, iron industry, steel industry, uh, manufacturing, uh, so very big, strong enterprises, big part of military industrial complex. During uh, market reforms, really capitalist restoration, uh, this industry was partly destroyed, but partly. So when in 2014, uh, this Maidan, came and uh, uh, very strong changes started. It was big conflict between uh, both oligarchs of Kyiv, capital of Ukraine, and oligarch, oligarchs of Donbass. They had very contradictory economic interests. And right, just, just quickly, 2014 is when a government in Kiev, which was essentially more sympathetic to the Russians, gets overturned and you get a very pro-Western government. Yes. Uh, so, uh, and uh, uh, it was also very negative reaction of ordinary people because uh, three aspects. First, uh, Ukrainization. It's difficult to switch to another language, another education, another standards, and so on. You are like a person who cannot talk. It's like to say, tomorrow Spanish is main language for the officials in the United States, for schools in the United States, not in the South, uh, West, but in the Central uh, United States. Everybody will say, you're crazy. Yes. Uh, the same was for Donbass people. And uh, they were against. Uh, also, they were against uh, very big growth and radicalization of semi-fascist, pro-fascist, and directly fascist organizations in um, Kiev and Western Ukraine, uh, these Bandera uh, organizations who became, by the way, main force who attacked the Donbass. And Donbass has a real uprising of ordinary people, partly supported by oligarchs. But oligarchs were not against, not completely pro, they were in between. And because they had uh, resources and so on, and they did not um, fight against, the majority of population, including police, including uh, their native KGB and so on, uh, decided that we will create our own state. They didn't want to be part of Russia. They said, we want to have our state. We don't be under the Kiev with uh, semi-fascists, uh, with uh, Ukrainian, terrible Ukrainian nationalism, and with terrible anti-Russian propaganda. We are Russians for us, this anti-Russian history is something stupid. We want to be independent. Next day, it was an uh, attack of Ukrainian. Firstly, it was uh, internal troops. Uh, then it was a lot of these uh, Bandera organizations. And they were very brutal. Then it became also army who came. And uh, it was, of course, uh, war, but it was war in the territory of Donbass war against uh, people who were partly they had some military preparations like policemen and so on yeah partly not partly we had people from army ukrainian army in donbass uh, but majority were ordinary 
men and even women who were not soldiers, who were not officers. They organized uh, struggle against. Ukraine used heavy weapons, uh, tanks, uh, special rocket systems, I don't know, Zalpa Vagun, when a lot of rockets are coming in one minute, uh, artillery, uh, airplanes, uh, cities were destroyed, a lot of victims, uh, hundreds of killed, I think thousands of people killed, including kids. Then the uh, real attack uh, against Ukraine started, but it was not attack to the territory of Ukraine. It was attack against Ukrainian troops who came to Donbass. And they mainly liberated Donbass regions, region in general. Uh, if it was Russian armaments, uh, officially not. Really, uh, honestly, I think a lot of people came voluntarily, including officers, soldiers, and so on. They voluntarily went to Donbass. I know many of my friends who wanted to go to Donbass, and some went to Donbass. They were young professors, uh, teachers, uh, doctors. Some of them were in past in the army in Soviet Union. It was obligation for everybody. I also had some, uh, I don't know, experience as lieutenant. <laughs> of course, very bad lieutenant. Uh, they went to Donbass and it was uh, people, we had people, by the way, we had people from uh, Caucasus, uh, different caucus countries. Uh, we had people from Central Asia. We had people from United States, from Europe, in Donbass, who were together with, uh, uh, I wanted to say Ukrainians, but they were not Ukrainians, the Donbass people uh, different of different nationalities. And it was a real big war. Now for them to be part of Ukraine, they're simply afraid. They're afraid of repressions, and Ukrainian leaders, uh, not officially, but said many times that it will be no, uh, how to say, excuse for people who were killers, as they said, and so on. Now, now the, the Minsk agreement that was negotiated after the fighting broke out, is the Ukrainian government is supposed to allow Donbass autonomy, but there's an accusation or allegation that the Ukrainian government has not lived up to the Minsk agreement. Yes, so Minsk agreement was compromise. And Donbass people decided that it's better to have this bad peace than good war. And uh, it was bad idea because really, I said in Odessa, uh, it was mass terror against trade union leaders in the House of Trade Unions. Uh, a lot of people were fired in Odessa. It's necessary to explain this story maybe one time in your channel. I'm not a big specialist, but I can invite people who will explain all this. Uh, nearly 100 people. Who, okay, it's very terrible story, which was initiated by right-wing uh, uh, aggressive guys from Central and Western Ukraine, in Odessa, South of Ukraine. Very Russian, by the way, and very Jew city. So uh, that's why there is this prehistory. And really, in Russia, there are a lot of people, not only military persons, but ordinary people, who think that uh, we must protect people in Donbass. 
because they are in terrible situation. Of course, Russia is not angel and Russian government and oligarch especially. And uh, there is competition between Donbass oligarchs producing steel equipment, coal, and Russian oligarchs producing the same. Economic competition, economic struggle. That's why Russia, Russia could make, uh, Russian government, Russian business could make uh, big investments in Donbass. Support education, support healthcare. It was done something, but uh, typically it was humanitarian assistance which was good, but uh, definitely it was necessary not to bring food, but it was necessary to create uh, good industry and to good agriculture in this region. Okay, this uh, was we only good. have a few minutes left and we could do many yeah. more segments and we will, but let me just- No, really, but not now. Let me just ask a yes, question I'm just to, to end the Donbass story. What do you think should be the solution here? In dealing with Donbass, Ukraine, what should be the solution? I have uh, one principle, which is, uh, I will say honestly, uh, Lenin's principle. Every nation has right for self-determination and the creation of its own state if they want to have this state. Of course, we as Marxists can say, if you make this state, it will be not profitable for you, it will be profitable for business. Or vice versa, if you create this state, it will be profitable for people. It will be not profitable for oligarchs, bureaucrats, and so on of the state where you were before. So I think that if people of Donbass wants to have their own state, they can have this state. In Donbass, uh, there are a lot of specific features, uh, language, uh, history, traditions, uh, and so on to be independent state. And this state can be and must be independent, uh, not part of Russia, not part of NATO, not part of Ukraine, and has uh, open, I hope, if there is no aggression, border with Ukraine, with Russia, because it is very integrated with Ukrainian uh, territory and with Ukrainian people and culture and with Russian culture and people and so on. And really my dream is to have open border and no struggle, peace between Ukrainian peoples, there are different nations in Ukraine, Russian peoples, because there are a lot of different nations in Russia. And we were living together, I don't know, especially in Soviet Union, without contradictions. It was contradictions between bureaucrats. Uh, it was contradictions between our peoples and our bureaucrats in both countries, in central bureaucrats, but not between Ukrainians and Russians, I don't know. So that's why it is, uh, I think, uh, the only solution really as minimum democratic social reforms, as maximum socialism. This is strategic solution. Tactic solution, uh, referendum in Donbass and let them do what they want and not uh, make any aggressions from one or another side. Referendum this participation of U.S. of yes. So. so I'm going to end the segment here. So here's what I would suggest to our viewers. Um, we're going to do many more seg uh, segments, if we can, with Alexander. Uh, so write in the comments on our website uh, or in the comments on YouTube or in the podcast. It's probably better if you're listening to the podcast. Come over to the website 
and you can write in the contact, but write some of the questions you would like Alexander to address. Uh, we don't get to hear a progressive Russian perspective on American, Canadian, British, I don't know what's happening in Europe, on television at all, ever. Uh, it's either 99% uh, you get to hear uh, anti-Russian hysterics uh, and very militarist hysterics, uh, even on supposedly liberal television channels who actually sometimes are more hawkish than even the others. Um, but we don't hear a, a progressive Russian perspective. So write me uh, questions you would like me to ask Alexander, and uh, we will keep these segments going. So thanks very much, Alexander, for joining us. Thank you. It was a great pleasure and big honor for me to be with you. Uh, for us, a big honor. Okay, don't forget, we can't do this if you don't donate. Uh, YouTube is, without question, uh, suppressing not only our views, but our subscribers. We have not moved an inch on subscribers in more than, I think it's about two months or two and a half months. It is just impossible that we don't have more subscribers, even though we're a little bit gaining in views. Uh, so the YouTube is screwing with us. So I'm asking you, uh, if you're watching on YouTube and you're not a subscriber, subscribe. And let's see if we can bring this uh, issue to a head with YouTube in some way. Uh, most importantly, uh, get on our email list uh, and go to the website. It's a better place to watch anyway, theanalysis.news. Uh, YouTube has already screwed with some of our videos, taking them down. Uh, the safest way to watch theanalysis.news is by getting on the email list and watching uh, us on the website. Uh, so thanks for joining us and look out for more of our segments with uh, Alexander Buzgalin and uh, see you again soon.